All right, 10.30, how are we? Are we good? Awesome. Do, do we have enough room? You elbowing people next to you? Yes, we're good. It's one of the reasons we're asking about a fourth service, because uh, we think this is kind of going to be our new norm coming this fall. So uh, just so you know, before we get started, Jacob has offered to offer anyone in the house, free of charge, dance or driving lessons. So if you're interested, just hit him up and he can take care of you. Uh, let me catch you guys up. Uh, for those of you who may be new here, or maybe you've just had a really busy summer and you haven't been around much, I want to catch you up quickly on what's been going on in the life of our church. Uh, many of you know that for the past two and a half years, we've been a part of another church in Paulding County called Westridge Church. And it's a church that I love dearly. It's a church that I served at for over four years as the student pastor. And so, uh, man, I, I will always and forever uh, love Westridge Church. Well, last fall, about a year ago, uh, Brian Boy, who's the pastor of Westridge, came to me and he wanted to start a conversation about the future of our two Westridge locations. And so he and I started talking, we started praying. Uh, we brought other men who serve on the leadership team at Westridge into the conversation along with our elders. And after a few months of praying and talking about what the future might look like, uh, we felt that God was leading all of us to the same place. And we felt like God was telling all of us that Westridge and our location here in Cartersville needed to part ways and that we needed to become our own independent church once again. And so it's been exciting. And, and I need you to know, too, that the parting of ways, it's, it's not for any, like, negative reasoning. There's no bad blood between us and them. Uh, it's all due to health. It's due to growth. It's due to financial stability. It's, uh, it's all due to great things. And so if you hear anybody saying anything to the contrary, I just want to say they're lying to you, and you can feel free to correct them, okay? We love Westridge. They love us. Brian Bloy is my pastor. Pastors even need pastors. I don't know if you realize that, but he's my pastor and forever will be. So, so we love them. Now, here's what we've done. The past few months have been crazy busy for us. We started this transition process uh, back in the spring, trying to do everything necessary behind the scenes to get us to where we could stand on our own again. And one of the things that was really important to me was surrounding myself through that process with people smarter than me. Right, I'm very aware that I don't know it all. Like, I don't know everything there is to know about the church world and leadership and all of those things. So I wanted to bring a lot of other men into the picture who could speak into the things that we were doing and the decisions we were making. And so back in May, we found this group of really smart guys just down the road from us in Ackworth, and they run a company called Root Radius. And they spend all their time helping churches and nonprofits with things like brand identity, with things like marketing and, and strategy development. So we hired these guys back in May, and we went and we spent a full day with them kind of getting started. And one of the exercises that they did with us, I, I want to show it to you this morning, okay? They called it the core story exercise. So we walk into their office and up on the whiteboard was core story and basically three categories. One was the need, one was the solution, and then the last one was basically an action plan. And when we sat down to start this conversation, here was the question. They said, what is the greatest need that exists in your community? Basically, they were asking us, why does your community need you? 
Why does your church exist in the community that you find yourself in? What's the greatest need there? So as our team started talking, here's some of the words that we kind of threw out. We said the word hope. Um, We said purpose. We said people need new life. We said people need eternal life. And then at the end of the day, we, we just kind of all said the same thing, man. The, the greatest need that exists in our community is, is Jesus. People need Jesus. Now, I understand that's the Sunday school answer, right? What's the greatest need with Jesus? Of course, it's Jesus. We're a church. We're going to say Jesus every single time. But I want to put this need in perspective for all of us this morning so that we understand the gravity of it, okay? In preparation for this series today... I emailed the North American Mission Board, and I asked them to put together a demographic survey of our area. And I want to share with you some of what they sent me, okay? Here's what they said. They said that within a 10-mile radius of this building that we're sitting in this morning, that the population is right at 109,000 people within 10 miles. So that's a lot of people, right? Now, here's what was insane to me. If you extend that radius by just five more miles, the total population jumps to 324,000 people within 15 miles of this building. We're talking 20, 25-minute drive from this place we're sitting in today. Now, listen, you cannot miss what I'm about to share with you, okay? Here's what the latest statistics show. The latest statistics show that somewhere between 80 And 90% of those 324,000 people are unchurched, meaning they don't belong to a church anywhere. They don't show up to gatherings like this. They don't have a bunch of other people who they call church family. Um, That is somewhere between 260 and 290,000 people within a short drive of this place who don't attend or belong to a church anywhere. Now, listen, I'm about to make a huge assumption about these people, and I know that assuming can get people into trouble at times, um, but I'm okay with that. I'm going to do it anyway, all right? Because I think it matters. I I assume, and I'll explain myself, so don't check out on me yet, okay? I assume that the majority of those people likely don't have a relationship with Jesus. I assume that. And here's why I assume that, okay? It's not because I believe that, like, church attendance automatically equals a relationship with Jesus. Like, I don't believe that by any means. Maybe you've heard the old quote that going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in your car or in your garage makes you a car. Have you heard that before? So I I don't think that just because people are showing up to church that they know Jesus. I think that there are probably people showing up to churches week in and week out all over this area that are showing up every Sunday, and they may not know Jesus. And I also believe that there are probably people out there in our community who know Jesus, yet they're not connected to a local church. So I'm not basing my assumption about these people on the idea of church attendance equals relationship with Jesus, okay? Here's what my assumption's based on. You see, I believe, because I feel like I see this taught in this book, I believe I see this taught in this book, that when someone truly knows Jesus as their Savior— that there is this desire inside of them to be connected to other followers of Jesus for the sake of spiritual growth, service, and mission. 
You see, the Bible tells us that when God saves us, he doesn't just save us and then kind of leave us out there on our own. He tells us in places like like 1 Peter chapter 2 that when we place faith in Jesus as our Savior, that he actually saves us into his family. And listen, God's big family, global family, universal family is expressed here on the earth in the form of local churches. You see, I I believe when I read the scriptures that it teaches again that there is just this God-given desire of every person who's truly a part of his family, that they're connected with other people in his family. So it just always makes me wonder. Like, when I see a number like that, like, it makes me curious. I wonder why those people aren't connected. Do they know Jesus or don't they know Jesus? I think some of them do. I think some of them probably do. They just haven't found a church home yet. But again, I'm assuming that likely the majority of them don't. So let's do this. Let's give these people benefit of the doubt, all right? And let's shoot low, and let's just assume 260, all right? Can we do that? We'll believe the best in people this morning. And for the sake of this conversation, we're going to assume that potentially right now, there are 260,000 people that are a short drive away from this building who don't know Jesus as their Savior. And listen, if you're here this morning and you walked into this building and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, two things. I just want to tell you we're glad that you're here. And secondly, I want to tell you that God loves you more than you'll ever comprehend. And he wants a relationship with you through Jesus. And it's free for you. All you got to do is accept it. But listen, Christians in the house, followers of Jesus in the house, I just want us to think about the implications of this in light of what we say we believe. As followers of Jesus, we believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. He's the only way to have a relationship with God. He's the only way to know eternal life with God. And, and we don't believe that to, to be exclusive, right? We believe that because Jesus told us that's true of himself. John 14, 6, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through who? Except through him. And again, that statement's not exclusive. In fact, that statement's very inclusive because Jesus invites anyone who wants to come through him into a relationship with God. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter the life you're living, how good or bad you are. Jesus says to anyone and everyone, no matter who they are, come to me and I will provide a way for you to have a relationship with God. That's Jesus' invitation. Now, as Christians, we also believe that heaven and hell are real places. And we believe that after life here on the earth, that every living person will spend the rest of eternity in one of those places. And again, we believe Jesus, because he told us this, is the only way to get to heaven with God, and anybody's welcome. And we believe that without him, people face a horrific eternity. So think about it. Potentially 260,000 people right now outside the walls of this building are living their lives every day not knowing the hope and the purpose and the freedom and the new life that Jesus offers them. And if their lives ended today, they would face an eternity without him. And that'd be a horrible, horrible day. And listen, these people, they're more than just numbers on a whiteboard. They're your coworkers. They're your neighbors. They're people that you see at the ball field when you take your kids there. They're people at the gym and the dance studio, students in the room, middle school, high school. They're students you go to high school with, college kids. 
the, the kids walking around your college campus day in and day out. These are real people that we rub shoulders with constantly who are desperately in need of the hope and purpose that only Jesus Christ can offer them. And look at me, church. I don't think that we can know that and sit back and do nothing about it. So let's go to the next thing. What's the solution? Like, how do we address that need? And, and I know that this can seem overwhelming, so what do we as a church do about it? Well, when our team was asked that question in the Root Radius office back in May, there were a couple ideas that we kept coming back to. And here's what we kept saying over and over. Man, we said we have to go. We have to go to them. If we know they're out there, we have to go to them. And we kept saying this statement over and over. We said we have to refuse to wait. We can't be a church content with just showing up once a week and, and singing some songs and listening to me teach, knowing that there's 260,000 people out there who don't know Jesus and all we do is hope week in and week out that they'll find this place and walk in the doors to hear the message they so desperately need to hear. Like we can't wait on that. We can't sit back and just live moral lives, Right? Not cussing, not drinking, not smoking, not watching rated R movies, hoping that somebody will go, you seem really different. Tell me what's so different about you. And then finally you get to go, our Jesus, I've been wanting to tell you about Jesus forever. I've just been waiting on you to ask me about him. But we can't be that group of people. We can't be that church knowing what we know and then sitting back and not addressing what people so desperately need. We can't just wait on these people to find us. We have to to go to them. Man, we have to be a church here in Cartersville that intentionally, every day of the week, carries the message of Jesus outside the walls of this building to people who desperately need new life from him. That's who we've got to be. And then our team, we just haven't been able to get away from that thought. Now, I want you to know that I am convinced that these ideas of going and, and refusing to wait, I'm convinced that they're more than just good ideas. I'm convinced that they're biblical ideas. And I want to show you what I mean, all right? So if you have Bibles with you or a device with an app, um, go ahead and open those up and go to Matthew 28 with me and keep your place there. And then I also want you to flip to John chapter 20 with me. And we're going to read two passages together today. And We'll start in Matthew 28 with verses 18 through 19. And I want you to read with me what Jesus says. We're finding Jesus in both of these passages, uh, post-crucifixion, post-resurrection. He's died for the sins of the world. He's alive again, uh, again, and he's about to ascend into heaven, but he's saying some things to his followers before he leaves. And in Matthew 28, 18 through 19, read this with me. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then what does he say, church? He says, go. Say that with me. Say that word. Say go. Go. Go, therefore, and do what? He says, make disciples. He's telling us in these verses that we as his followers should go to people who are far from God that we should go to people who don't have a relationship with him, that we should go to people who've never been given the gift of eternal life from God that's available through him, that we should go to those people and share with them about who he is and what he's done for them. What Jesus doesn't say is, hey guys, all authority on heaven and earth is mine. Wait, just 
just wait here. Why don't you guys hole up in a building somewhere, and John, you lead people in some songs. Peter, you get up and preach and hope that some people find their way in to hear about me, right? He doesn't send them out and say, go live great moral lives and just hope that people ask you about what I've done. Instead, his instructions are simple and clear. He says, you do not wait on people far from God to come to you. You don't wait on those people to find you. You go, you find them, and you tell them about me and what I've done for them. Those are his instructions. Go to John 20 with me. Let's read verse 21. And I'm going to need your help again. I want you to say some words with me, okay? Jesus, again, he's talking to his followers. He says, peace be with you, as the Father has what? Sent me, so I am what? Sending you. We know when we read the scriptures that God, in his love and mercy toward us as sinful people, sent his one and only son, Jesus, into the world in pursuit of us. God sent Jesus, his one and only son, to come into the world and to lay down his life so that you and I could be restored back to a right relationship with God again. What God didn't do is wait, right? He didn't wait around and watch us kind of scrambling around down here going, all right, I'm going to see if they can figure out this whole hope, purpose, eternal life thing on their own. No, he knew that was impossible. So he came after us, and Jesus is reminding us here in John 20 that if we are his followers, that we are like him, and that we are sent ones. Just as God sent him into the world, Jesus says, as my followers, I am sending you into the world for the purpose of helping people far from God find their way back to him again. That's why we're here if we know Jesus. That's what we sang in that first song of the morning, that God has left the rescued for the fallen, and our job is to go to the fallen, the hopeless, the hurting, and the broken with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here on the earth. That's why you're living and breathing and moving today as a follower of Jesus Christ. That's your life's purpose. And I'm convinced that when we get these, truly get these ideas of going and being sent, that, man, they transform how we think, how we behave, how we act in everyday life. See, here's what we tend to do as people, I believe. And I just want to tell you, like, I'm not preaching at you here because I am guilty of what I'm about to share. So I'm also preaching to the choir But here's what I believe we tend to do often as people, um, especially here in America, we're like crazy busy, right? We tend at times to compartmentalize life, meaning um, we wake up every day and we go to a job. Uh, Some of us wake up every day, we go to a school, um, maybe on the way to those things, right? We hit the coffee shop. Uh, After those things are done, we come home and we go to our neighborhood, and uh, if I can spell, it'd be awesome. And then, you know what that says. And then over here, right, like once a week, um, we do the church thing. And we kind of live our lives in compartments or boxes. So it's kind of like we go from one thing to the next on a daily basis. Now, the problem with this way of thinking is that it totally, totally discards the biblical ideas of going and being sent. And I want to show you what I'm talking about. You see, when church is just something that we do, we're fine with showing up on Sundays to a gathering like this and thinking that everything in our life when it comes to how we're living and what we're doing for the sake of God and his kingdom is totally fine. But I just want to let you know this morning that God's design for the church was never for it to be just something we do. 
Like God wants church to be who we are as his people. He wants it to transcend something we just show up for an hour a week. He wants us to be the church Monday through Sunday, 24-7 in the community in which he's placed us. So instead of it looking like this, what it should look like is this, is that we as the church... We realize that God is sending us day by day as his people into all these arenas of life, into our communities, our jobs, our schools, our neighborhoods as sent ones to carry the hope and message of Jesus Christ to people who desperately need to hear it. This is a biblical idea, church. If you're sitting here going, well, James, I don't don't know about this. Um, Why don't you convince me? Like maybe you've grown up in the South like I have all your life. You've been in church like I have all your life. And your assumption is, I've always been taught church is just something we do on Sundays. It's kind of the weekend thing, right? We get dressed up, we go hear a message, we hope it affects our life, and then we leave and we do it again seven days later. So you're like, well, convince me of this. Let's think about what we know to be true of God from the Bible for a moment if we can. We know when we read this book that our God is a God of very intelligent and very intentional design, right? I mean, you can look at the world for about five seconds and realize that that's true about God. Now, here's what I want all of us in the room to realize. Um, God was very intentional and very intelligent in the way he designed and created every single person sitting in this room this morning. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, I just want to ask if you've ever considered some things, okay? Like, have you ever considered that when God was piecing you together, forming and fashioning you, that he gave you certain abilities, certain talents, certain passions, so that one day he could send you into a job field as a sent one so that you can go and carry the message of Jesus to people there who needed it? Have you ever considered that? Like, I think God's really smart. So I'm just asking, have you ever considered that maybe, just maybe, God knew what he was doing in designing you to be a banker, a lawyer, a doctor, a policeman, a mechanic? Like, he cleverly designed you to be one of those things, but behind the scenes, you're really like a missionary, and he's sending you into those arenas of life to connect with other doctors, other bankers, other lawyers, other mechanics, other police officers, other stay-at-home moms for the sake of bringing the good news of Jesus to people. You ever consider that? Have you ever considered that maybe you don't live in the neighborhood you live in by mistake? But that maybe God had his hand on that decision and he was sending you to a certain neighborhood to put you beside certain neighbors who need Jesus and need to know that people who know Jesus are kind of like them. They're just, they've just been changed by the grace of God. You ever consider that God puts you there as a sent one to carry that message of hope to those people living right next door to you? Have you ever considered students that the school you're in, that God has you there for a reason? Cartersville High, Adairsville High, Woodland High School, all the middle schools around here. Have you ever just stopped and considered, maybe I'm here for a bigger reason than just going to school? Maybe God, right now in this season of life, And I'm a student, and I'm here to be a student who carries the hope of Jesus to other students around me. You ever considered that maybe that person who waits on you at the restaurant or or serves you coffee every week, maybe God's letting you cross their paths for a reason greater than coffee and food? You ever considered that? 
I'm just saying, when you get these biblical ideas of, of going and being sent, all these arenas of life are no longer just arenas of life anymore. Your job's more than a job. Your neighborhood's more than a neighborhood. Your coffee shop's more than a coffee shop. You start to view these things as mission fields in which God has sent you to reach out to people there who desperately need what you've been given. He's a God of intentional design, and he's sending those of us who call him our Father. Now, I want to tell you, excuse me, I want to tell you where our team started landing on some things toward the end of this conversation with the Root Radius guys. They challenged us as we talked to them to capture all the words that we wrote concerning the need, all the words we wrote concerning the solution in one sentence. Now, I just want to tell you, that was not a short process. I mean, it took a couple of hours, and we really wrestled through it. Um, But this morning, I want to share with you um, where we landed, okay? We're going to throw these up on the screen so you can see them. When it came to the need, here's what we said. We said the majority of people in our world, and again, that can be neighborhoods, schools, it can be jobs, it can also be globally all over the place. The majority of people in our world desperately need hope and purpose, but will not look to the church to find it. Listen, that last statement up there was really important for me. Like, I wanted us to include that statement um, as part of the statement as a whole for a very simple reason. Here's the reason. Because when you pay attention to what's going on in our country and in our culture and in church world these days, what you find is this. You find that that America, our country, it's slowly but surely becoming a post-Christian nation. Much like nations across Europe, much like nations uh, like Australia. And when I say post-Christian, here's what I mean. I mean, more and more people are living their lives each day believing that Christianity and the church is completely irrelevant to their lives. Like, they don't think the church has anything to offer them. More and more people are living lives each day less inclined to walk into a building like this, into a gathering like this, on their own. More and more people each day look at us as Christians and they think we're outdated and judgmental and hypocritical and they don't want what we're selling. And listen to me, I think a big problem and, and who's to blame is, is us, the church. And so when we pay attention to the shift that's happening right now in our world, in our culture, I'm just saying as the church, we've got to be able to shift as well if we want to continue to reach people far from God with the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, I, I want to honor the past always around here. Like, I don't ever want to discard what God has done through this church since its beginning. And for the past seven years, this church has been great at reaching people far from God with the life-changing message of Jesus. But church, here's all I'm telling you. As we move forward into the future, what we've always done isn't going to continue to always work. And listen, I'm convinced that if we don't make some shifts and if we don't pay attention to what's going on where we live right now, that there's going to come a point that even our church becomes another church museum instead of a movement advancing the kingdom of God in this world. And I'm just telling you, I'm not giving my life to a museum. I want to be a part of a move of God that can only be explained by him. And I think you want that too. I think that's why you're here. And so here's where our team landed when it came to this solution statement. Let me show you this. We said that if we're going to address this need, that our church has to exist 
to relentlessly pursue those far from God with the hope and love of Jesus Christ. And that last statement was icing on the cake for us. We will not wait. We will not be the church that knows that there are 260,000 people outside of our doors who don't know Jesus and sit back and do absolutely nothing about it. Instead, we will wake up every day of the week, Monday through Sunday, and relentlessly pursue people far from God, people who are in our lives with the hope and love that Jesus Christ can offer them. That's the church we have to be if we're going to continue to reach people far from God. It's a church we have to be. I've said to my staff in closed-door meetings, and, and we've talked about this together since we've had all these conversations. Like, I dream of the day when people in our community, um, Noah says the we will not wait church. I could dream that. You know, we're, we're going to announce our name here in a few weeks. And I know that people have been fired up about the name. Um, the name, it, it's cool and it's great, and I think you'll like it. I hope you'll like it. But what makes me more excited is thinking about all we're talking about this morning. Like, I don't even care at the end of the day if people remember our church name. Like, I've said this time and time again, the most important thing to me is that when people think about us, that their first thoughts go to Jesus. Like, I want his name to be the name above all other names in this church. And when they think about us, I want people to think and to say that's a church obsessed and consumed with going and serving and sharing and showing compassion all in the name of Jesus so that hopeless, hurting, broken, lost people can come to faith in him and be restored back to God again. That's what I want people to know when they bring our name up. I want us to be a people serious about going after the very people that I believe Jesus would be going after if he was still on this earth in the flesh today. So again, listen to me, church. We're at a place right now. We've got to decide if we want to do this. I think we got to make a decision, all of us, in whether or not we want to be a church that does everything in our power to try and get 260,000 people to come to this building to hear the message that they so desperately need to hear. Like, I mean, l- listen, here's the decision. Let me just be honest. We can consume ourselves with trying to teach the greatest series. We can consume ourselves with the most amazing community events, we can consume ourselves with the greatest mass marketing this community has ever seen from a church, or listen to me, we can every Sunday unleash a thousand missionaries onto this community in order to share the hope and love of Jesus Christ with hundreds and thousands of people who need his hope. Now, I'll just say this for clarity's sake. Um, We're not really gonna change a lot about Sundays. We're still going to do great series. We're still going to do community events. We're going to do Hope for Christmas, community makeover. We feel like those things are important. Um, We're still going to print some invite cards out. So you can invite some people to our gatherings. But here's what I'm convinced of. If we want to continue to reach people, we can't only rely on those things any longer. We have to shift. Some people that you do life with every day will never step foot inside these gatherings. And you know what they need? They need you to quit inviting them to a gathering and they need you to invite them to Jesus. That's what they need from you. They need you to love them and build a relationship with them and be their friend and share meals with them. And they need you to name Jesus and to live a transformed life in front of them so that they can see what he's capable of. That's what they need from you. Listen, I'm just convinced that if we go with the latter plan, 
that we will see God use our church for things that we cannot even dream up right now. Like, I'm convinced that if we will become a people obsessed with going after lost, broken, hopeless, hurting people, wherever our lives cross paths with them, that God will do more in and through our church than we can ask or imagine. I mean, I'm pleading with you. I'm begging God on your behalf that you would catch this vision and that you would say that you're in. Like, I'm ready to charge this community and to take the hope and message of Jesus outside the walls of this place together. So if you're sitting here going, well, James, how do we do that? What's the action plan? How do we become that church? Well, that's the rest of the series. That's the next three weeks of We Will Not Wait. And I want you to be here because all we're going to talk about is how you and I together can accomplish this mission that we feel like God's put on our back, the mission of Jesus Christ that he's given to us as sent ones. You know, I think there's this big misconception in the church world today that if a church wants to be great at evangelism, that they have to sacrifice discipleship. And if a church wants to be great at discipleship, then they have to sacrifice evangelism. And I think all of that's just ridiculous. I believe that if we want to be a bunch of missional people living out what we say we believe in our world around us and reaching lost people with the good news of Jesus, then it takes discipleship and it takes learning and it takes growing and it takes holiness and it takes sacrifice and it takes generosity. So I know we got to do a great job of discipling you as a part of this church. And then we've got to have some great discipleship things in place if we're going to reach people far from God. We can't be a church full of a bunch of spiritual babies. We've got to get people grown up so we can send them back out to reach more people who are far from God. And listen, I, I just hope you'll join. I hope you'll join in this mission. I just want us to pray together if we can. And uh, I want us to pray that God would stir our hearts. I want us to pray that God would disturb us with that number up on that whiteboard and that God would give us the courage and the boldness that we need as a church to not wait, but to go as sit ones into the world with his message. Will you join me and let's pray. God, you're so good to us. And I thank you for loving us like you do and for putting your love for us on display by sending your son into this world to give his life for us as sinful people. God, I truly pray this morning that you disturb us with that 260,000 number. God, I pray that, that that number sits heavy on our hearts each day. I pray, God, that that number would wake us up at night. I pray as we live in our neighborhoods and go to our jobs and, and invade our schools and, and go to restaurants and coffee shops that we wouldn't just think of people as people, but we would see them as beings created and loved by you and that we would recognize that we're in their lives to point them to who you are. God, we need courage to pull that off. Holy Spirit-inspired courage. We need, God, grace and compassion to pour out on other people. We need patience. We need love, God, that, that we don't even know we're capable of right now. God, we're trusting you to give us those things. God, 
God, we want to be about your kingdom. We want to accomplish your work. And we want to see spiritually dead people come to life again in Jesus Christ. So God, I'm just praying this morning, God, use us. Use us for your glory. Use us for your honor. God, in everything you do in and through us, God, we will make sure you get the credit for it. God, we love you so much. And we pray all of these things in the powerful, life-changing, life-giving name of Jesus Christ.